0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right, I'm not going to start you out this morning with Scripture just yet. But I want to dive into the Word of God. This church has got the enemy on the run. I just wanted to throw that in there real quickly. Do you believe that? We've got the enemy on the run, we've got people that are receiving his spirit, we've got baptisms coming, and God is doing his work, the church is moving forward, regardless of COVID and elections and problems and all those other things, you faithful people come and you praise and you worship and you lift up God, and the spirit moves in this place and we've got the enemy on the run. And I like to put the enemy on the run. As a matter of fact, today, my wife and I have a little joke that's been going on for a number, well, I guess for quite a while now. And on, sometime on Saturday night, she'll look over at me and she'll say, what are you preaching about tomorrow? And every time she asked me that question, I'd say the same thing, Jesus. <laughs> so now she changes it, she looks over at me and she says, what are you preaching on tomorrow, Jesus? <laughs> yes. But today, I'm actually going to preach on Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus today. You know the devil hates it when we talk about Jesus? The devil hates it when you say the name Jesus. Hey man, society is hating it when we say the name Jesus. Don't say Jesus around a reporter for one of the major news networks. My goodness, it's offensive. The public schools don't like it when we say Jesus. Come on. Cuz the enemy's prevailing in some of those places. He's the spirit of the world and it's crept into some of these places, but we still have that power. We still have that right and that freedom to lift up the name of Jesus and say Jesus. And so today I want to preach a little bit about Jesus. I feel like every time I preach about Jesus, I'm hopefully imparting some things on a few folks that gives them a little bit of emboldment, a little bit of power that you can take home with you, take into your life and say, I know Jesus. This is what I'm going to say about Jesus. I'm going to get the enemy on the run. I'm tired of being subjected to what he does. I'm tired of the things that he does in my life. I'm going to start using the name of Jesus. Right? Amen. That's okay. That's all right. So I just thought, man, I'm going to get the devil riled up a little bit today, and I'm going to show you some things. He just, he just hates it. You know, and the thought that I had prevailing in this, and I have a specific topic I'm going to take you, a road I'm going to take you down, but Jesus has, his name and, his, and who he is has so many roles and, and so many identities, and, and they're so critically important to what we do and, and how we understand him and the relationship that we build with him. He's, he's, been, he's known as the son of man in the word of God. That means he's the flesh. When you, hear, when you hear and see the term son of, or son of God, son of man, sometimes he's even referenced himself as the son of man. When you see that in scripture, I want you to understand that that term means flesh of. When he says, I'm the son of man, he's talking about being born of flesh. He was born of Mary. So if you think about it, where it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. That's what that's talking about. So where you see son of man or son of God, people say, oh, no. No, Jesus, God is the dad and Jesus is the son. And that's how that's always been. Well, a Roman emperor named Constantine came up with that deal. Okay, that's not Jesus' deal. That's not a scriptural deal. That's not even biblical. You know, the Romans were polytheists. You know what that means? They worshiped many gods. They had Diana and Zeus and all those people. And so this cat named Constantine thought that he's had some sort of an epiphany on this whole deal, and he decided to write a religion. Thank you, Brother Dan Gerbing, for a phenomenal message this morning, our adult Sunday school. Awesome work. And so Constantine decides to get this whole deal together and says, well, I'm going to write this universal religion. He comes up with the concept that Jesus was a son of God because in scripture it's translating that way. But it means flesh, it means the flesh of his person. Okay, I'll get into that a little bit further. So he's known as the son of man, the son of God. He's known as the son of David because we know he's from the lineage of King David. He's known as a prophet, a teacher, a master. He's called the bread of life, the light of the world, the light of of life. He's called the good shepherd, the redeemer. Hang on to that one. But the most important title, what really means the most, I think, to us is his title of Savior. His title of Savior. That's really what connects us most with him, right? Did you come to church because you wanted to know the Son of God or the Son of Man or because you wanted to know a Savior, right? We'll get into that just a little bit. The term Savior is represented twice in scripture, massively. Once in the Old Testament, the word yasha, or yasha, that's the the Hebrew, the Aramaic version, and the exact same version is known in the Greek, which is soter, or soter, okay? Same word, same definition, same, essentially the same term used, translated over into the Greek. But again and again and again, where we see savior, we see either of those two terms. Now, if you look at uh, the world today, we throw that term around a lot. You know, somebody finds your keys that you lost in the house. Oh, thank you, you're my Savior. Right? We use it a little bit loosely. But unfortunately, people have a lot of Saviors that aren't really the Savior. For some of us, money is our Savior, or fame, our job. Presidents, senators, congressmen, Supreme Court justices are going to be our savior. Come on now. Traditions in our faith and our religion are our savior. Brother Dan, you talked about it this morning. Religion and relationship, you talked about. Folks, this is not a religion, religion is a construct. Religion is a process, a series of traditions and ceremonies. Relationship is getting to know who God really is and getting to know and understand the Savior that he is. Some of us, our education is our Savior. How about boyfriends and girls and husbands and wives? They're our Savior. If it just comes all together with this relationship, I'll be saved. It'll be okay. The world has far too many saviors to put their faith into, and they don't really understand the nature of the one true Savior. And so I want to talk to you today about who's your Savior. Do you know who your Savior is? Because there's just a tremendous punchline to that question. Do you know who your Savior is? Luke 2 and 11 tells us, For unto us a child is born, and unto this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Bible says that they called his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. They called him Christ Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. We need a savior today, am I right? John 4 and 42 calls him again Christ the savior of the world. Acts 5 and 31, a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 5 and 23, Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Philippians 3 and 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for who? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1 and 10 says it this way, it says, but is now made manifest by the, peer, the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I apologize for that. Talk about a momentum killer. Now I'm starting over. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Who hath abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What are we in this for? Brother Dan, again, you said it this morning. It's everlasting life. It's an eternity with him. It's never to die. It's saving us from this world and certain destruction, an eternity of pain and anguish that we know is set aside for those who do not love God and will not follow him and his word. A life eternal. Second Peter 2 and 20 says it this way, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, okay, there's a whole lot of pollutions going on out there. There's a whole lot of stuff that we have to wade our way through and keep off of us. Pollution is nasty. It's just like that stuff. We don't see it necessarily always in the ether, but it's out there. We know that there's an element of pollution. Of course, not nearly from what I hear From one of the debates recently, talked about China and India and and the billions of people cranking out all this tons and tons of dirty air and water and all this stuff. It's pollution, but a lot of it we don't see. And that's how the enemy works. He sneaks up on us. He's got his pollutions of the world that he's sending through his airwaves and through the attitudes of people and nasty people that don't want to see other people succeed and be happy in life. We have to wade through all of those pollutions. But through the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter is worse to them than in the beginning. But he's our Savior. He's the Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to pull us out of that stuff, to help escape the pollutions that the world is continuously putting upon us or or, or covering us over in. Second Peter 3 and 2, next chapter over. The Lord and Savior, he's called. You go to verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why is it so important that throughout the course of the word that those two are always together, Lord and Savior? Now, I want to tell you another little, little tip on the words that appear in Scripture. When you see those ands, you see a descriptive and an and and a descriptive. It's a conjunction. It really means also, So when you see and, it is not a completely separate this one and a completely separate this one. It is Lord and or also Savior. Why is Lord first? Because he's got to be the tops in your life. He's got to be the one that you follow. He's the one who sets the rules, sets the pace, tells us how it works. He's got to be our Lord first. You can't take advantage of the good stuff, the dessert from the meal, if you're not going to go ahead and be a part of the main part. He's got to be your Lord first. Okay, now I'm going to step out just a little bit here how does he tell us how do we follow that how do we become uh, we make it known that he's our lord well he gave us an instruction manual he gave us his word now for some reason mankind just made it their tradition to stick all of it between on, in either pleather or real leather black sometimes red and there's other colors But this is the way we put it together. And you've heard me say it many times before. If it's between these two black covers, I'm going to preach it. This church is going to preach it and represent it. Because it's the word of God. It is the will and testament of God. It is the instructions on how to make him Lord first and Savior in your life. It's as simple as that. I have a litany. Ask Sister Kylie. She's up there. that Sister Lee. Oh, it's Sister Kylie. She's up there with a litany of scriptures from this book that I'm going to provide you as I'm racing through to show you that it's the word that tells the story. It's the word that gives us the information. So I'm not making this up. That's what determines that he's Lord and Savior in our life. 1 John 4 and 14 says it this way, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, Savior, 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 Savior. He's our Savior. And I told you a moment ago that the old Hebrew, and you can look this up, it's yasha, or yasha. It means to save, to be the Savior, deliver, help, preserve, salvation, avenging. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, the word tells me. Our rescuer, defender, the victorious. In the Greek, again, it's sorter, sorter, and it simply means the same thing, savior, defender, preserver of salvation. But I want to tell you something else that maybe you haven't observed. Some Many of you read through the Bible. I've talked to several that have read through already this year. But this is the interesting part. When we talk about who's your savior, do you really know who your savior is? Many scriptures identified God as the savior. But how can that be? Do God and Jesus share the title? Did they trade off? Sometimes Jesus will step in and he'll be your savior, but sometimes God will step in and be your, your savior. Let's look at 2 Samuel 22. Verse three says it this way. It says, the God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. That's Samuel, the prophet Samuel. Samuel never heard of a guy named Jesus. But Samuel was a prophet of God. And he identified him as Yeshah, my savior. Isaiah 43 and three says it this way, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy savior, If you jump down to verse 11, hear the words of God now. Verse 11, God says emphatically, I, now I say emphatically because he repeats it, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Come on now. Tell me some people in tradition haven't had that image of that white bearded big guy in the robe sitting up in the throne. And here's little Jesus sitting right next to him, on the right hand, right. Does God have a hand? Does He have legs and arms and all that? No, He doesn't. God's a spirit. When it talks about the right hand, it's talking about His righteous hand, His hand of authority, His authority. See, Jesus was the plan. Jesus was what God did in First Timothy three sixteen when He manifested Himself in the flesh, so that He could redeem us. He could be our Redeemer, our Savior. If you go over to Isaiah 45, just a couple of chapters further, Isaiah 45 and 15 says it this way. It says, verily, and again, that's emphatic when the Bible says, verily, verily, thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Popping down now to verse 21 in that same verse. Is Jesus acting as one of the Savior team when he says that he's the Savior and the Bible identifies him as the Savior? But look at verse 21 again. It says, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let me take counsel together who hath declared this form in ancient time. Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. This is God speaking directly to the prophet Isaiah. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is none beside me. But it gets better. Isaiah 49 and 26, all flesh shall know that I am, I, excuse me, I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer. Remember, we talked about the title of Jesus. That's one of his titles. He's our precious redeemer. If you go on a little further, Isaiah 60 and 16, and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy savior and thy redeemer. He tells Isaiah again and again and again, I, God, I am the Lord. I am your savior. This is who he is. This is who your savior is. Hosea chapter 13 and 4, the prophet Hosea just sums it all up really nicely. Again, God is talking to him and he says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Well, how can that be? Because we know that the word says that Jesus was from the beginning to the end. He was the first Adam. See, Jesus, the concept of Jesus always existed. Why do we know that? John 1 and 1, right? We talk about it all the time. You can quote it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So in the beginning, Jesus was there in God's concept. That was his concept, his plan. The word logos means representation, plan, concept, idea. In the beginning was the plan. And the plan was with God and the plan was God. You can't separate a man from his word and his plan and his ideas. That's your identity, that's who you are, that's who God was. Who is your savior? Your savior is God Almighty, the one who was eventually manifest in the flesh so he could be a redeemer for us, he could understand us. Mary, the mother of Jesus, while... He was still, yet in her womb, had this experience in Luke 1 and 47. She says, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. How about that? She's talking about the baby. In God my Savior. 1 Timothy 4 and 10 says it this way, for therefore we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. So you understand, I'm in the New Testament now. They're still talking about God. First Timothy two and three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Come on now, tell me. Does anybody in here saying, "Oh, I knew all these already"? Jude one and twenty five says it this way: To the only wise God and Savior. This is that Jude's second and the last book of the Bible. But you know the identif- the, the Bible calls them out together. Both together, 1 Timothy 1 and 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember what I said earlier. And is a conjunction. It means also. It's not two separate things. We showed that before. Lord and Savior. And what he's saying right now is he's saying God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He's identifying it. He knows. Paul knows the Old Testament. He knows the Old Testament said again and again and again God is our Savior. He knew the words of Isaiah. He studied it. He was educated. Paul was a smart guy. He knew that Isaiah did and again and again said that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. But Paul is the guy that Jesus knows knocked off the horse on the way to Damascus, and he looked up to him and said, Who art thou, Lord? That word translated means Adonai, which means God Almighty. He looked up and he said, God Almighty, who art thou? And the answer came back. He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. The apostle Paul had the revelation. He knew that God from the Old Testament was our Savior, and Jesus Christ from the New Testament is our Savior. They're one and the same. Titus 1 and 3, I'm going to take you through Titus, this is wonderful, Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 2, and Titus chapter 3 continues to reinforce that. Titus 1 and 3 says it this way, "...but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior." Verse 4 To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. This is Paul writing to Titus grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. There it is again that conjunction. Also, God our Savior, also Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul had the revelation, he knew who his Savior was. Titus 2 and 10, he goes on writing. Paul writing to Titus, verse ten, God our Savior, he calls him out again, down to verse thirteen, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's talking about the second coming. Does the Book of Revelation say that God comes and then later on Jesus comes? No, sir. There's one second coming, and there's one who's coming again. His name is Jesus Christ. Paul's not confused. He's not mentally deranged. He's not lost his mind. He has a phenomenal revelation of exactly who God is. Now to Titus chapter three. Paul continuing to write again to Titus. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Come on now, let's break that down. Look at it, what he said. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Who was manifest? First Timothy 3:16. who's the Word who was made flesh and dwelt us, John 1 and 14. It's Jesus Christ. He refers to him directly as God, our Savior, appearing unto men, and then goes on to say, beyond that, but according to His mercy, He saved us. How, by the washing of regeneration? He's talking about baptism. Are we baptized in God's name? Are we baptized in John's name or Paul's name or are we baptized in Jesus' name? He's talking about Jesus. He says, goes on and says, in the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through who? Jesus Christ, our Savior. The same passage, the same three-verse passage. He refers to God our Savior and Jesus Christ our Savior. Again, this is not a duality. He's not a split personality. He's not popping back and forth in and out of reality and understanding. He's identifying the same God. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, I'm just checking. Taking temperature. Bless you. Second Peter 1 and 1 God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It reappears again. Go down to verse 11. It says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Starts out in one and one. God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, there's that and, that also. They're not two separate things that they're talking about. Clearly, clearly. I hope that's hitting home. I hope it's just, just nailing home. I hope it's a revelation that's hitting you like you've not seen before. Many of you say, well, I know, I believe, that. I understand. I want you to know who your savior is. Confidence builder, devil smasher. Just, this is the thing that you can put inside you. You can walk out of here today and say, unequivocally, I know that I can stand on the devil's head and say, God is my savior. Jesus Christ is on the throne. There's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who's above all and through all and in you all, one. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, I mentioned already, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There isn't a Jew that existed in the Old Testament that ever had any concept whatsoever of any other thing than there is one God. It was so important to them that they wrote it on something and stuck it inside a little box and strapped it on their foreheads. They put it in a little box and stuck it over the doorway of every doorway in their home. It says, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's how important it was to them that's what the Jews of Israel knew well it's because he wasn't born yet brother Cordell he was born back there in the book of Matthew but remember what I said in the beginning in the beginning you read the book of Isaiah you tell me they didn't know what was coming they didn't know anything about Jesus read the book of Isaiah and again and again and again it's a revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament one of them Look how Paul clears up all of that idea in the book of Philippians. If you turn to chapter two, I'll give you a moment. This is a little bit of a passage. Philippians chapter two, starting at verse five. Let this mind be in you, Paul is writing to the Philippians. In other words, what he's saying is, you need to make this a part of who you are. Let this mind be in you. Just settle it for yourself. Just understand this is it. This is the deal. Paul, speaking to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, that's pretty important. You need to say have the same mind as as the Savior. Who? Being in the form of God. It's powerful. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Okay, so it's talking about Jesus making a decision to be something. He made himself of no reputation, but look at the next part. It says, and took upon him the form of a servant. That says to me that at some point, there was a decision-making process, and he decided to make himself of no reputation. How do we know that? He was born as an infant. You know, Jesus could have stormed into the world on white stallions, bold and brave and the king of kings and the lord of lords and started professing his message but he decided to come in humility in the form of an infant why because he needed to be like us he needed to feel like us and understand what we deal with the bible says he was tempted yet without sin he knew he could understand our issues our challenges the book of hebrews will tell you that he had to do that so he could completely understand what we deal with so he could be an honest and true redeemer You can't just profess to know what we know and what we feel. He had to be there. He had to experience it. He took on him the form of a servant. That means he had a choice. He didn't have to be a servant, in other words, a man, a person. But it says that he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So why is it so important that we understand this incredible distinction about God's nature and who our Savior is. Why do we we have to know it that way? Because God is our Savior, and he has a name. The power is because he's God. The name is what he's given us to take care of his will, to execute success in this life, to remain saved, to find him, seek him, and understand who he is. And then secondarily, So we can fight the good fight. We can win the battle. We can run the race, as Paul said. We can be faithful in that race, but we can take that name into this world and we can share that we know who the Savior is. That's the key. We can't have confusion. We can't have misunderstood ideas. We can't have a duality of nature. We can't have these. There's no effectiveness in it. The Bible says it's through his power, through the one you understand we need to know his nature completely. It said it right there. Paul told the Philippians, we've got to have this mind in us if we really want to know who he is and be successful. Verse nine, if you go down a little further there in Philippians, it says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Well, that, that's, how would that work? Now, the Old Testament, you know, the Jews referred to God as Yahweh, Right? And they wouldn't even pronounce it. They wouldn't even say it. They wouldn't spell it with vowels in it because they were so honoring of that. But it says that God gave him a name. In other words, himself. A name, a powerful name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven and the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's that scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, 16 through 18. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. There's that decision making process. He took on him. Who's he? God. God was making a decision. How am I going to relate to my creation? How am I going to relate to my creation and redeem them? He said, Well, I'm not going to take on the nature of angels because we're just a little bit below the angels. I'm going to take on the nature of man. So he took on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. That means mankind. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make what? Reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, he couldn't have understood. He couldn't have possibly related to us, but he's there to make reconciliation. For in that he himself have suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or understand, embrace, empathize, them that are tempted. That's how he knows us so well, and that's why we need to know who he is. Right? Amen. You can stand this morning. I'm going to close. Brother Dan, you quoted my scripture this morning, and and my family knows, and you've heard me say it many times before. My favorite scripture in all of the Bible is this, Acts chapter 4 and 12, because it says that neither is there any name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. No other name. Whereby we must be saved. And we have a world out there that's telling people there's a lot of other saviors. The next president is your savior. The next Supreme Court Justice is going to be your savior. Just accept that guy. Accept the savior. There's a lot of saviors out there, but we know who our Savior is Colossians 3 and 17 and whatsoever you do do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him why do we baptize in Jesus name why do we pray in Jesus name why do we do what we do in Jesus name because every example of someone being saved in scripture was in the name of Jesus it's the name where the power is it was the name that was given why is it so important why is it so powerful because it's God's name it's God's name when he became flesh. All right, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're so thankful, God, for the revelation of who you are. We're thankful, God, for the power that comes with the name. Thankful, Lord, that we're able to bear that name and carry that name. Lord, in your name, we will do many great works. We will do greater works, as you had said in scripture. God, and we're so thankful. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.